You're listening to a podcast from Northeast Christian Church. For more information about Northeast, go to ncclex.org. Thanks for listening. As a kid who grew up in Iowa, which is a huge agricultural state, we always had a garden. Growing up, we always had a garden. In fact, there was a period of time where my parents felt like we needed two gardens. So we had the one in the backyard, and then they rented a garden. And you know who was working the garden? Yeah, yours truly and my three siblings. One of the things that people do in Iowa, and they do it all around, that have gardens or are in the agricultural world, they, they do things to try to stimulate the growth of their plants. One of the things that we did in Iowa was we would fertilize our gardens. We would do it in early spring. We'd bring the fertilizer in and then till it into the soil. And then we would plant, and then you would just watch the plants thrive. Weeds liked fertilizer too, so they would thrive as well. And that's what parents had kids for, to go to the garden and pull those weeds. We'd cut them out, pull them out. But fertilizing helped the plants to grow stronger and faster. And it made the plants able to build, you know, endurance for the hardships that they would face. Like fertilizing the garden, there are things that all of us in the church can do in order to strengthen the ministry efforts here. These actions can help the church to thrive while moving us past our current growing pains. These actions are a lot like fertilizer, or in my mindset, it's like jet fuel in the engines of the church. And this morning, I want us to take a look at three of these actions that we need to take in order to help facilitate or stimulate the growth that we're having here at Northeast. We're not satisfied with it just being what it is. We want to see it grow even more. So, the first action that we need to take is to invest, is to invest. Paul wrote to the uh, Corinthian church in 2 Corinthians, his second letter to him, And this is what he said. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly. So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. There's a little bit of background that's important to understand this this passage. Paul is sending Titus to the church at Corinth to uh, finalize the deals regarding an offering that they had agreed to help out with. This was an offering that was being taken up from a number of churches in order to help some Christians in Jerusalem who were suffering. They were all excited in Corinth when they first heard about the offering and said, yeah, count us in, we're all in. They only failed to do one small detail. That was take up the offering. They had forgotten. And so Paul is sending Titus and he's sending a reminder. He's drawing some some attention to the fact that, hey, if you all don't deliver on this, there's going to be a lot of embarrassment, even some public humiliation and maybe even shame. The other thing that Paul points out to the church in Corinth is that you need to focus on the benefits that come from investing in kingdom work. You need to, be, you need to focus on the benefits that you will, you will receive when you generously invest in this need. 
And Paul does all this. He kind of sets it all up by quoting an agricultural proverb. You see, farming was so common in the ancient cultures. Everybody was familiar with farming. So a farmer, as a farmer, a person had very little control in that time over the soil quality, over the weather, of course, and over, you know, trying to control weeds. All of those things could hinder, even even seriously compromise, the yield of his crop. But one factor that the farmer did, did have control over was the amount of seed that he would plant. Paul says it this way about giving. He's in regard to this idea, this metaphor of a farmer planting seed. He said, each seed planted yields, it's, it increases the yield potential of that crop. Paul points out that if we give sparingly, then our return will be limited. But if we invest generously, our return has a greater potential. And then he says in verse 7 that we just read, he points out a foundational principle for giving in the church. And this is the idea of freedom in giving. The Jews in the church, people who were of a Jewish descent, they recognized giving in a different facet because they were required by the law to give a tithe, which was 10% of their income. But Paul's saying for the Christian, instead of giving a certain amount of money as though we owe it to God, and we know we owe everything to him, right? James says that he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So we owe him everything. But instead of looking at it as though we owe it to God, we instead, Paul says, should give freely. This is what he said. Give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly, or under compulsion. And the blessing that comes from giving like this comes only from giving freely. Nobody's putting the screws to you. Nobody's making you feel guilty. Nobody's, you know, threatening you. You're giving this out of the gratitude in your heart to God. And then at the very end of verse 7, he makes this really key point. He says, for God loves a cheerful giver. You've probably heard that before, haven't you? So when you give, he says, celebrate the moment of giving. It's the idea of being cheerful when giving a gift to the Lord. And it describes the joy in your heart, which comes from the confidence that this gift that you're going to give him is going to bring pleasure to God. That's a cheerful giver. You know, there are many ministry projects, not just in Northeast history, but in the history of the church. There are numerous ministry projects and numerous ministry initiatives that have never happened. Never. In fact, we don't even know about them because they never actually came to pass. They never happened because of one particular reason. They lacked resources. Now, I will tell you this about this church. Northeast is arguably the most generous church that I know of. Our per-person giving numbers are out of sight. They're amazing. But if we're going to reach Hamburg and beyond, the mission that God has given us to reach this 40509 zip code and beyond with the gospel, it's going to take all of us investing our resources. So the first action that I want you to consider taking to help us kind of fuel the engines of of the ministry here, is to invest freely, 
without compulsion, and with a cheerful heart. There's a second action that we need to take. And uh, this one, the second action to fuel the engines, if you will, is to invite, invite. I love this passage from John, the first chapter. Listen to what John writes. He says, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John, he's talking about John the Baptist, had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, this, that is the Christ, and he brought him to Jesus. Isn't that cool? The first thing that he did was to go find his brother and say, you cannot miss out on this. You have, we've found the Messiah, and I want you to meet him. All of us have a role in bringing others to meet Jesus. It's part of who we are as members and owners of the body of Christ. As a church, we can make all kinds of preparations. We can plan for all kinds of growth. But if no one shows up, it is a wasted opportunity. And that's why it's so important to invite others to join us, to invite others to just check us out and visit. You know, in the, in the classic movie, Field of Dreams, there is this iconic line in the movie. You remember what it was? If you build it, they will come. Actually, it's he will come. That's what they said. That's what the crazy voice said. But thank you for playing. We have some lovely parting gifts. When the Iowa farmer, sorry about that. When the Iowa farmer, Ray Kinsella, played by Kevin Costner, hears this mysterious voice out of one of his cornfields, it's saying, if you build it, he will come. And he's not sure who it is, but he feels that he needs to take some action. And despite the feelings that he may be losing his mind, what Ray does is he builds a baseball diamond right there on his farmland. And after it's finished, baseball players of the past start emerging from the cornfields to play baseball on Ray's field. You know what's interesting about that movie and that whole concept? Many churches over the past decades have used a very similar church growth strategy. It was, if we build it, they will come. If we build it, they will come. And the strategy was that if churches built elaborate buildings, complete with stained glass and plush padded pews, then people would attend their services. And that worked for a while, I suppose. But it doesn't work that way anymore. In fact, it's not uncommon to find the most thriving and active, energized church in any given city in America that is meeting in a peculiar facility, like an old warehouse where they just set up chairs and drop screens. Or there are even churches that meet in facilities that the other six days during the week, that building is a bar except on Sunday when it's a church. We can plan and we can prepare for new people to show up, but we still have to reach out and invite them to join us. We can make space available, but one still needs to make the invite to those around them who have nowhere to connect. We have learned that people will visit a church based upon what's on their website or their social media platforms. But still, the most effective way to fill seats in a worship service is to invite people to make that personal invitation to say, why don't you join us? 
come with me. Please do this. Don't let anyone miss all that God has for them. Don't let anyone miss out on all that God has for them. No excuses. Let them decide. Don't decide for them by not inviting them. Let them turn you down 15 or 20 times, but let them make the decision. I saw this in my life a number of years ago in probably one of the more, you know, enlightening moments. I was, uh, it was September the 18th, excuse me, 16th, 1988. It was a Friday night. And that night, John Schmidt and I were planning on going to Cincinnati to watch the Reds play the Dodgers. The weather was iffy most of the day, and we didn't have tickets, but that had never been a problem in the past. We would make eight or nine, maybe ten of these trips every season to watch a game. You can do that before you have children, okay? Well, it was rainy, and neither of us wanted to drive all the way to Cincinnati, buy tickets, and then get into the stadium only to have the game postponed because of rain. There were all of these excuses that kept coming up as to why we shouldn't go, and so we finally decided we're not going to go. Later, I turned on the radio to check the score of the game to find out that they were in a rain delay. It was already over an hour long. They hadn't even thrown one pitch yet. And I thought, what a genius I am for not going. I was a genius until Saturday morning... When I turned the radio on, and this is what I found out. Watch this. He is ready for the 2-2 to Woodson, and here it comes. And it is swung out and missed. And Tom Browning has pitched a perfect game. 27 outs in a row, and he is being mobbed by his teammates just to the third base side of the mound. A perfect game thrown by Tom Browning. On this Friday night, September the 16th, 1988, as he no-hits the Los Angeles Dodgers one to nothing and throws the first perfect game in the long and legendary history of this great Cincinnati Reds baseball franchise. Still hurts. Still hurts. After a two and a half hour rain delay, Reds pitcher Tom Browning pitched the first perfect game in Reds history, only the 12th time in Major League history. I had missed one of the great moments in Major League history, and I was supposed to be there. I was going. We were going. A little bit of rain kept us away. That's all. Only thing that would have been worse would have got to have gotten tickets, gone, sat there for two hours, and then left. And we would have done that. So that's the only consolation. All the excuses seemed to be so wise the night before. But the next morning, it just seemed to be so foolish when we learned about the outcome of the game. Here's the deal. We invite people to come join us because we want them to have an encounter with God. Because whatever hassle it might be to invite them, it's all worth it when you realize what happens ultimately in a person's life when they come to know Jesus Christ. Eternity is never the same for them. So when it comes to inviting people to an opportunity to meet Jesus, don't make excuses and don't make the decision for them. There may be a lot of reasons for not inviting them to come. But don't let them miss out on having their sins forgiven 
experiencing the love of God for themselves and the promise of eternal life with him. So let's take that second action to heart and let's invite people to be part of what God is doing here. All right, the third action to fueling the engines to, to, to spur on and stimulate growth is to intercede, to intercede. Now, intercession is an interesting word. It's defined by Tom Eliff as where an individual positions themselves between two parties, one with a need and one with the answer, and seeks to bring the two parties together. That's what intercession is. And we do that through prayer. All of us know people who have needs, don't we? I mean, we know people who are hurting. We know people who are lonely. People who struggle with addiction, or people who are troubled or depressed. People who have anxiety, who are hopeless, who are lost. The list goes on and on of all those things. And if you've walked with God for any length of time at all, you know that Jesus has the answers to all of life's problems. We can intercede for people and pray that they would come together with God. Prayer is so vitally important. It's so important. In fact, Martin Luther said this about the Christian and prayer. He said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. It's vital. It's so vital part of who we are. And it's so important to what we do. So much so that Paul said to the Romans, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. He told the Colossians, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful I want to ask you to take a little bit of time every single day to intercede, to fuel growth through prayer. Pray that God would do two things. That he would start moving here in two specific ways. The first one is this. That he would bring revival in this place. Now, revival is to stir up the hearts of the believer. And some people have been going through the motions for a long time. The, the flame in them has almost gone out. In some, maybe it has even gotten cold. The embers are gone. They're just these dark, dark, cold coals in their heart. That's their faith. And we pray that God would stir in us, that he would rekindle that fire in us, that we would start burning white hot like we did when we first came to know him. And then the second thing we want to pray is that God would bring an awakening to the Hamburg area. There are people who are far from him who do not know him. And our prayer is that they would not just know him, they would become knowledgeable of him. They would fall in love with him and ultimately come to a point where they say yes to Jesus. So let's pray. Let's pray. Let's intercede on behalf of those who need God to stir their heart or bring them close to him. Now those are the three actions. To invest to invite, and to intercede. And I want us to take some action this morning to fuel the engines, okay? Now, over the last couple of weeks, I've asked you to take out your uh, program and take this uh, bottom part off, okay? And you fill out, go ahead, go ahead, let me see your bulletin, your programs, come on. Don't be shy, wave them at me. Yeah, good, good, thank you. Thank you for playing along. Some of you are going, you annoy me. Okay, I don't care, I don't care. Tear this bottom part off. And then what I want you to do is fill out the front part. Okay, now somebody asked me this week, do we really have to fill this out every week? I mean, you guys say that, but I didn't think you really meant it. <laughs> yes, okay. Now, if, the, uh, if your address and all this pertinent information hasn't changed, that's fine. You don't have to fill that out. Just put the names of those of you that are here 
today. And you can do that and drop it in the offering bag. But I want you to do one other thing. Turn it around, and there are three boxes on the other side that say invest, invite, and intercede. And what I want you to do is I want you to check the boxes that you are going to say to us as a staff, to us as leaders, yes, you can count on me to do this. And I hope you'll check all three of the boxes. Let me, let me explain very, very succinctly what each one of these boxes represents. The first one, the invest box, stands for two things. Number one, you're going to give regularly. You're going to invest around here regularly. For some of you, that means you give something every week. Others may say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give twice a month, and some give on a monthly basis. Whatever it is, have a plan and follow the plan and give regularly. The second is to give generously. Give generously. We've talked about how our attendance numbers have grown. Our offering numbers haven't grown as, as drastically. And as a result, there has been a shortfall in our budget. One of the reasons for that is the challenges that we have with regard to debt. In 2008, Northeast entered into an agreement with one of the banks here in Lexington. And we financed $11 million dollars. Oh, man, it's still even hard to say it out loud, you know? $11 million. We currently owe $9.75 million, if you, based on the math. And so we, uh, we have, we, that's a big part of our budget. That creates some challenges for us. And we've been working on this for a number of years now to try to do everything we can to be the best stewards that we can. But that's a big chunk of our budget. Now, the reason I tell you that is I want you to have, you know, knowledge of this. We, we, we strive to provide transparency in all areas of ministry that are, you know, that are potentially your business. And this is one of those things. We want you to be uh, aware of what's going on financially. If you have questions about a lot of this or any of this, uh, I'd encourage you to check with uh, Steve Smith, who is our executive pastor. He'd love to talk to you about it. I met with him this week. He said, I welcome all the questions, so feel free to contact him. In the last verse of that that passage that I quoted earlier to the church at Corinth, Paul writes this to the Corinthians. He said, and God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You should give generously. Not only because God has given everything that you have, but because when you give to him, you cannot outgive him. You just can't. He is more generous than you and I will ever think or possibly strive to be. In fact, he says in Malachi, test me in this. So give generously. You will never outgive God. All right, the invite box. The invite box is, we're just going to invite people. Now, do it consistently. Some of you, in my thinking, we just invite one person every month. That'd be a decent goal, right? Now, some of you go, I'm in sales. I can invite somebody every week, you know? Okay, invite somebody every week. Some of you are going, when I said invite somebody every month, you kind of locked up. You know, it's that introverted nature that you have. And you're going, what if I invited one person in the next year. (laughs) Okay, what if you did that? Maybe you might change the eternal destiny of that one person. So here's the deal I will make with you. 
I would like to challenge it. Everyone in here who checks this box is saying, I'm going to invite one person every month. I think that's doable. But if you want to go further and say every week, or you want to back it up and say, I'm going to invite one person over the next year, fine, check that box. Here's the people that I want you to be mindful of when you invite. The first, the first group are people who need Jesus, all right? We know that they potentially are a heartbeat away from spending eternity without him. So we want to invite them so that they might have an encounter with him. It may change their eternity. It may change their eternity. The second group are people who need a church. Now you go, what? We don't want to steal from other churches. That's not what I'm talking about. You and I all know people who were involved somewhere and for some reason they got, they got dinged up, they got wounded, they got hurt, and now they're not going anywhere. They know Jesus, but they're kind of just drifting out there. Those people need a church. Why not invite them to come be a part of what God is doing here? All right? The third box is the intercede box. And I kind of gave that to you before. There's two, two facets of a very simple prayer that, I, that if you check this box, you're agreeing to pray every day. And that is pray for revival here at Northeast. Pray that God would light a fire in us. For those of us that have kind of been sleepwalking faith, our, through our faith, he's going to light a fire in us. And then the second is that you would pray that God would bring an awakening to people who are far from him here in Hamburg. That, that they would come to know who he is. So if you check one of those boxes, I hope you'll check all three. But if you check two or you just check one, whatever the case is, you're saying, I am all in on that. You can count on me on this one. I'm going to do that. And I look forward to sharing with you in the future what those, those, that data is that comes from this. I'm very excited about it. But as the offering bag goes by later, just drop that in there. That's how you get signed on. That's how you do it. And let me say this to you. Whatever boxes you check, I just want to tell you thank you. Thanks for being part of what God is doing. Thanks for putting yourself out there a little bit. Maybe for some of you, this is a real stretch. I I understand that. And I'm just really proud of you for taking the risk. Thank you for partnering with us. All right, let me close with this story. There was a, a gathering at an English estate by a bunch of British uh, folks a number of years ago that almost turned tragic. One of the children at this event fell in the water. The adults weren't all that close by, but the gardener happened to hear this young boy's cries for help, and he jumped in and he rescued this young lad. The thing about it was, at the time, nobody really knew who this kid was, but later he would be rather instrumental in, in, the, in the nation of England His name was Winston Churchill, and his parents were deeply grateful to the gardener who had saved his life. And so they asked him, what can we do to reward you for saving our son's life? And he thought about it for a moment, and then the gardener said, I wish my son could go to college someday and become a doctor. The Churchills said, we promise, we will make that happen. We will see to it that that happens. Years later... When Sir Winston Churchill was now the Prime Minister of England, he was stricken with pneumonia. Really bad case. The country's best physician was summoned to come treat him. His name was Dr. Alexander Fleming. Some of you probably know Dr. Fleming. He's the guy who discovered and developed penicillin as a medicine. But more importantly to Winston Churchill, 
Dr. Fleming was the gardener's son. Kind of fascinating, isn't it? He was the guy who, whose father saved his life, and now here he was saving Winston Churchill's life again. Churchill commented later, he said, rarely has one man ever, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. You know, when I read this story, I couldn't help but think about the experience Winston Churchill had, the words that he used. They reminded me of the deep indebtedness that we have to Jesus as Christians. He gave us the precious gift of salvation. Let's live our lives reflecting that gratitude. Let's live our lives showing that gratitude that we have for Jesus. Live inspired by the sacrifice that he made for us. Let's live to stimulate growth, to fuel growth in his church in order to accomplish the mission that he's called us to. There will be people in heaven someday because of the work that we're doing here, even today. And you're part of that. Who wouldn't want to be part of it? Let's invest in his kingdom work. Let's invite others to encounter him. Let's intercede so that he would start a fire in us if our coals have gone cold. Or he would reach out and make a connection with somebody who is far from him so that they might have an encounter with him. Let's live our lives in such a way that we encourage growth in the church in order that we see the population of heaven grow. Will you join me in that? Let's pray. Lord, thank you so very much for not sparing anything to redeem us, to make a pathway so that we might have a relationship with you, even though we were sinners. Thank you, God, for Jesus going that extra mile, paying the price, taking the blows that were meant for us. He took those, and he died in our place. And God, we are so, so grateful for that. Let us invest our lives into things far greater than the things that we would choose on our own fleshly level. But God, that we would choose higher missions, higher purposes, because those are the things that you call us to. Lord, help us to link arms around here as one body and say, we are going to move this thing forward by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the grace of God. Lord, help us as we invest our lives in this. We pray, God, that you'll be glorified as we, as we do such. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you've never taken that step to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to invite you to come. We're going to sing in just a moment. Just worship and celebrate the Lord. But during this next song, there are going to be some folks down front that would love to talk to you about it. If you've never taken that step, we want to invite you to do that today. Don't wait one more day. There's no guarantee of tomorrow. Please, please don't risk your eternity based on just one more day. And you, we've talked about being an owner. A number of folks actually signed on at the end of first service. And I would invite you, if you've been here a while and you know what we're about, and you say, hey, I want to become part of what God is doing here, you just come forward. We'd love to talk to you about that. And finally, if you just need somebody to pray with you, maybe this week has been one of those weeks that just beat you up. Maybe there's things going on in your life. You don't have to tell us what it is if you don't want to. But we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you. Let's do that. Let's stand together. And if you have a need, will you come as we worship the Lord?